drew near unto him, talking about Jesus, all the publicans and sinners. Someone said, and sinners. For to hear him and the Pharisees and scribes murmured. They complained, saying, this man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. And I want to preach this message today, and I want to reach someone who needs the Lord, and I want to help someone who has lost their love for souls. I want to preach this message. This man receives sinners. This man receives sinners. Put your Bibles down, lift up your hands, and let's pray for just a moment, shall we? Lord, I pray our hearts would be right. I pray that we would receive your word with gladness. I pray, oh God, that we would build on the atmosphere of faith and worship that has already been built in this place. I pray that we would continue in that flow of the supernatural. I pray the power of God would move in this place. I pray the waters of baptism would be stirred and that there would be an anointing in those waters, that there would be miracles in those waters. I give you praise. And everyone said in Jesus' name, go ahead and clap your hands to the Lord one more time and wake yourself up. Wake yourself up. Somebody lift up your hands, lift up your voice. We're fighting just a few spirits right now. I need a prayer warrior to help me pray. Lord, every spirit that would come against this service, I rebuke it in Jesus' name. And I plead the blood of Jesus in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for standing. You can be seated. We jump into the Gospel of Luke, and here we find Jesus teaching, as he often did, but not only was he teaching, he was fellowshipping. And as he taught publicans, which were hated tax collectors, <laughs> that's what publicans were. You really couldn't have found a more disliked group of people if you'd been trying than the publicans. And that's exactly who Jesus was teaching and preaching to and breaking bread with. And then there were other sinners there as well, and they gathered in to hear what he was saying and to feel the anointing that would radiate from him when he would preach and teach. And this stirred a lot of anger among the scribes and the Pharisees, who were the super, ultra, mega religious people of the day. They considered themselves to be far superior to common people. They considered themselves to be far more important than rank sinners, and almost as if they were cursing. It was like uh, curse words coming off of their lips. They said despitefully, this man receiveth sinners. This wasn't a compliment. This wasn't an exclamation of joy. This was a complaint. And they said not only does he receive them, he lets them come near him, he interacts with them, uh, but he eats with them too. Now the scribes and Pharisees would have snubbed their nose at sinners. They would have turned their back on sinners. This was a part of their culture. It's exactly what they would have done. But Jesus broke all of those things down to show that he cares about hurting, broken, sinful people. Those are the people that he came for in the first place. And this may not strike you as a profound statement, but this simple exclamation that this man received sinners changed the world. First of all, you need to understand that sin is a big deal. 
Sin is a real problem. Sin separates us from God. Sin keeps us from heaven. Sin keeps us from having a right relationship with God. And so it's, it's a big deal when Scripture says in Romans 3.23 that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. By the way, that includes the scribes, it includes the Pharisees, it includes me, it includes you, it includes your neighbor, it includes your mom and your dad and your brother and your sister and your kids and your grandkids. Everyone has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Sin is not a problem that is just for the poor or just for a certain minority. Every single person born into this world is born with the curse of sin on their life. The psalmist Uh, lamented he said behold I was shapen in iniquity and did sin did my mother conceive me we are born literally born into sin and so to be a sinner is a problem that everyone faces from birth sin is a spiritual disease that needs a spiritual remedy and the Bible warns us that the wages of sin is death And even Jesus warned us over and over again that eternal judgment in hell awaits unrepentant sinners. By the way, I'm just going to pause and preach something. I'm going to give you some of that tough preaching that I was talking about a minute ago. Hell is not a figment of a preacher's imagination. Hell is not an unbiblical doctrine. Hell is not something that preachers made up a long time ago to scare people. Jesus talked about hell more than any other preacher Yes, he did. The New Testament talks about hell more than the Old Testament talks about hell. If you take hell out of the equation and you choose to believe the lie that hell is not a real place, or if it is real, it's just a big party boat where all the sinners go to stay high all the time and drink all day and all night, and they just get to go do whatever they want to do. No, hell is going to be a terrible place of eternal fiery judgment. It's going to be an awful place. And when you take hell out of the equation, you cheapen the blood of Jesus because Jesus did not shed his blood so that sinners could get on a party boat and get high for all of eternity. No, Jesus came and suffered and bled and died. And the crown of thorns was thrust on his forehead. He took stripes on his back so that you could be saved from the fires of hell and you could spend eternity with him in heaven. That's exactly why Jesus came. Why would Jesus come and go through all of that if hell was just a a party boat where everyone could go and and just have a good time? But I've got good news for someone today. The one individual who has the remedy for a sin-sick soul is not in the rejecting business. When they said this man, they didn't even know exactly who they were talking about. They knew his name, but that's about all they understood because this man was Jesus Christ who towered above all men, holy, pure, righteous, separate, undefiled, blameless. And even this man who was completely without sin, he received sinners unto himself. This man who committed no evil in his lifetime, born of a virgin, this man received sinners and he loved them. He talked with them. He healed them. He prayed for them. He fed them. This man 
This man who is no other than the eternal God before whom all the angels veil their faces. He receives sinners. Isaiah prophesied that a child would be born and his name would be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Jesus was and still is the bread of life, the light of the world, the door to salvation, the resurrection and the life, the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end, the King of glory, the Prince of Peace, the Mighty God. God in Christ, this man, this God man, manifest in the flesh. This man, he receives sinner. If he can receive them, then we can too. 1 Timothy 2.5, for there is one God. Someone shout that with me. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Colossians 2 and 9, for in him Jesus dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and ye are complete in him which is the head of all principality and power. This man receiveth sinners. These scriptures show us that Jesus was and is our advocate and mediator. He was the fullness of God, our completion and the head and ruler of all things. He is the friend that sticketh closer than a brother. He's the prince of peace. He's the healer, the deliverer, the way maker, the storm calmer. His name is Jesus, and he's in this building right now. His spirit, the same spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead, is in this building right now. And he is not in the sinner-rejecting business. He is in the receiving business. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Somebody who's been delivered from sin ought to clap your hands and shout. Somebody who's been set free ought to lift up your voice as a mighty testimony that God brought you out. He did not reject you. (laughs) People might reject you. But preacher, I've had Christians who rejected me. It's not about people, it's about Jesus. When did this thing become about other Christians? This thing became is about Jesus. People, Christians might reject you. People who call themselves Christians, but they're not actually Christian. By the way, there's a lot more of those running around than real Christians out there, but that's another message for another day. People who call themselves Christians might reject you. Your family might reject you. How many have ever been rejected by someone that you thought was your friend? You thought they'd always be there. Boy, I'm getting some amens right now. They told you I'll be there for you in thick and thin. I'll be there with you in the good times and in the bad. And then the bad times came and they were nowhere to be found. You got messed up. You got scuffed up. You got beat up. And they left you high and dry. But And so now you're saying, preacher, you don't know what I've done. You don't know what I've been through. You don't know my past. You don't know my history. I don't even know if God can forgive me. But I came to preach to you. This man, receive a sinner. He will not leave you. He will not reject you. He will not push you away. He will receive you unto himself. Now, I feel the need to pause and preach this for a minute because here's what I get from a lot of people who want to live in sin. They'll say, well, Brother Ryan, you know, Jesus ate with sinners and he spent a lot of time with sinners. And so that means I should be able to go drink at the bar with all the sinners so I can be with all the sinners. I should probably just go to the club, Brother Ryan, because that's where the sinners are. And, you know, Jesus spent a lot of time with sinners. Let me tell you about Jesus. Jesus got with sinners and he changed them. They didn't change him. Jesus got with sinners and laid hands on them and, and they were healed of all manner of diseases. Jesus spoke to them and he looked at the woman caught in the very act of adultery and he said, woman, 
ah, where are your accusers? And she said, I don't know. And he said, neither do I accuse thee. Now go and sin no more. You can come to Jesus weary, worn, and sad. You can come to Jesus with a load of cares. You can come to Jesus full of sin. But you're not going to leave the same way you came. You're not going to leave his presence the same way you went into his presence. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Jesus constantly interacted with sinners. He spoke with the Samaritan sinner woman. He ate with publicans. A sinner by the name of Mary anointed his feet with oil and cleansed his feet with her tears. And the list could go on and on and on. The fact that a sovereign and holy God would humble himself to receive sinners is nothing short of incredible. A God who for all of the Old Testament was behind a veil, even the priests could not go into that place of holiness without risking their whole life unless they went through all kinds of purification rituals. In fact, there, there's a, a tradition that tells us that when the priests would go into the Holy of Holies that one time of year, that they would tie a string around their ankle with a little bell on it, and there would be a rope that would go from their ankle all the way out past uh, the Holy of Holies where someone could reach it if they needed to just in case they were struck dead in the presence of God because they worried if there was any sin in the priest's life, if he went into the presence of God with sin that had not been dealt with properly, he could be struck dead. It happened many times in the Old Testament. And so tradition tells us that if they would fall over, that bell would ring. And no one could go in to get them without being struck dead themselves. And so they'd take that rope and they would pull them out of the Holy of Holies. But can I tell you that when Jesus died and the sky turned black and people came up out of the graves, prophets of old came up out of the graves and people were amazed. They said, why are the graves opening up? And people didn't know what was going on. And Jesus shouted, and he looked out over the crowd and there were people who were mocking him and there was Mary weeping and there was John the beloved weeping at the death of Jesus but in that very moment something supernatural happened the veil was torn into pieces it was rent into as a testimony that no longer would mankind be unable to step into the Shekinah glory of God that's why on a Sunday morning at Apostolic Tabernacle in 2017 in the dog days of an August summer we can step into the house of the Lord lift up holy hands without wrath or doubting speak in other tongues as the spirit gives an utterance that's why we can feel the presence of God because no longer is God unreachable no longer is God untouchable Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Jesus came so that the unapproachable could become approachable. Jesus, in fact, right after his resurrection, there was Thomas. You know, Thomas gets a lot of bad press. You call him Doubting Thomas because he, he struggled to believe that, that Jesus had really been resurrected. He said, not only do I need to see it with my eyes, but I need to touch the nail scars in his hands. And when Jesus appeared to his disciples, suddenly 
he looked at Thomas and he said, Thomas, I want you to go ahead and I want you to touch the nail scars in my hands. Go ahead and put your hand in my side. Go ahead, Thomas, because I'm receiving you to myself. I'm not rejecting you. You might have doubt. You might have fear. You might have unbelief. But Jesus is here today and he's saying, all you've got to do is reach out and touch me. All you've got to do is respond to my voice. Reach out. Put your hands in my nail scars. Go ahead and touch me and believe. Now we have to ask the question, why does this man receive sinners? Certainly not so that they can remain sinners. Romans 6.13 says, yield yourselves to God, for sin shall not have dominion. Everyone said dominion. Look at your neighbor and say, I don't have to be a slave to sin. For ye are not under the law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin? Because we are not under the law, but under grace. God forbid. Jesus received sinners to offer them salvation. One day Jesus was teaching to another large crowd, and there was a short guy by the name of Zacchaeus. The Frenches relate to him. He's one of our favorite characters in the Bible. We love short characters in the Bible. And Zacchaeus was a sinner. He was a tax collector. He was a very rich man, but he was rich on the backs of poor people. He stole from people in the community. He was hated. But he wanted to meet Jesus. He had heard about Jesus, and he wanted to meet him. And so Zacchaeus stood and said to Jesus, Behold, Lord, after he had met him and he had interacted with him, Jesus said, I want to go to your house and all of this. And then here's the response that Zacchaeus had that I think all of us need to have. He said unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore to him fourfold. What was he talking about? He was talking about repentance and restitution. If you want to come to Jesus and you want to be delivered by Jesus, he'll receive you in any condition, full of sin, full of lies. You can be a liar, a thief, whatever you are. You can be any of those things. And he will receive you. But if you want to leave his presence saved, it's going to start with repentance. It always starts with repentance. Zacchaeus was changed by his encounter with Jesus. Jesus always receives those who seek him. He'll never turn anyone away. But he requires that there be a change if they are going to be saved. Some reject the change. That he requires. One of the stories that always jumps to my mind is the story of the rich young ruler. How many remember the rich young ruler? He came to Jesus and said, uh, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And uh, Jesus went through the list of Ten Commandments and different things and the law. And he said, Jesus, I've been doing all those things since I was a youth. That always makes me laugh a bit, little bit. That's how young people talk. Here he is, a rich young ruler, and he's talking about his youth like it was a long time ago. That's how young people do, isn't it? Back when I was young, three days ago. <laughs> and so the rich young ruler goes through this list of all these things, and then Jesus says something very interesting. He said, this one thing that I require, you need to love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. All your strength and all. And then, by the way, after all of that, I know you're rich, but you need to go sell all that you have, give those to the poor, and then come and follow me. 
Now, I don't think that Jesus, and in fact, I know Jesus doesn't require that we all go sell everything that we have. Someone just say, thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Because some of y'all are counting the cost right now, just like that y'all about to get up and go. <laughs> but here's the problem. If you love your riches more than Jesus, you do need to do something about it. And Jesus immediately perceived that there was one thing that this young man loved more than him, and that was his stuff. Mm. There's always that one thing that we have to give up. It's always something. Everyone has something. Maybe you don't have money, but it can be something. Maybe it's your addiction. Mm. Maybe you love alcohol more than Jesus. Maybe you love drugs more than Jesus. Maybe you love fornication more than you love Jesus. Ooh, we're going to just preach it hard, aren't we? Maybe you love adultery more than you love Jesus. There's always something that people love a little bit more than they love Jesus, and that's the very thing Jesus is going to look at you in this altar. He's going to say, if you want to follow me, if you want to inherit eternal life, that's what you're going to have to get out of your heart. You're going to have to get that out of your life. You're going to have to smash your idols in the altar, and then you can follow me and you can be saved. Jesus said in another place, he said, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. That's the whole reason Jesus came. All of this, Hebrews eleven six. he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. If you seek Jesus and you do it with a sincere heart, he'll always receive you. Jesus said that he came to give life, but not just life. He came to give life more abundantly. You know what that word abundant means? It really means that it, at its root, it means favor. God wants to give you a life of favor with God. He wants to give you a life where you have blessings and peace and joy and righteousness in the Holy Ghost. He wants to give you a life that is better than anything this world can offer you. Not only that, Jesus came to offer us a place in his kingdom which is in heaven. John 3, 5, verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. And so we have to be born of the water and the spirit. But the good news is that he's preparing a place for us right now in glory. He's getting a place ready for you right now. He's preparing it. He's getting it ready for you. But all you have to do is be obedient to him. He'll receive you whatever state you're in. But he doesn't just offer to receive you and love you. He offers to change you if you'll let him change you. God will not force change on you. You know that? The government will. You just try going 90 miles an hour out here and see how long that goes. Brother Lewis will find you fast. Yeah, the government will force change on you, but God will not force change on you. He won't force salvation on you. He won't force you to love him because the moment you have to force someone or something to love you, it's not really love. Can you imagine having to look at your wife or look at your husband and say, I demand that you love me. If you're having to talk like that, you better go find the love, baby, because it ain't there right now. I demand that you love me right now. It doesn't work that way. God isn't going to demand that you love him. He wants you to actually love him. Yes, he does. And so when he looked at Nicodemus and said, you must be born again of the water and the spirit. As the musicians come, I'm wrapping up. We're about to get ready to baptize Nathaniel. I'm very, very excited about it. This precious family, what a blessing they are to this church. 
The first thing that you have to do if you want to be saved is repent of your sins. Everyone say that with me. Repent of your sins. Repent. Repent. The second thing that you have to do is you have to be baptized in Jesus' name. We already talked about this man. We already talked about him being the mighty God in Christ. It's important how you're baptized. You need to be baptized in the name that is above every other name, the name of Jesus for the remission of your sins. Without baptism, there can be no salvation. Baptism isn't just something that we do as an outward demonstration of our faith, even though it is that. Baptism is an outward demonstration of our faith and our trust in God. But it's far more than us making a public declaration. It is God doing a supernatural cleansing in our lives. The moment of baptism. And then there's a third thing that many people overlook, and that is that you need to receive the gift of the Holy Ghost speaking in other tongues. Every time in the New Testament when they received the Holy Ghost, the evidence was always that they spoke in other tongues as the Spirit gave the utterance. The gospel is the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. When we repent of our sins, we're dying to the old man. We're dying to our carnal desires. That means we have to crucify the things that we like, things that have gripped our hearts. And I can feel right now as I'm preaching, I can feel the grip of addiction that's tugging on some people. You want to receive this word, but your love for other things, addictions are pulling at you, and they're pulling you away from Jesus. Just like that rich young ruler, there are things that are pulling you away from this altar right now, but you better crucify them in this altar and say, Lord, I want to love you more than I love my stuff, more than I love my addictions, more than I love my sin. I love you more than all those things, Lord. That's the death. You're dying to the old man. The burial is baptism. We're literally buried with him in baptism. And the resurrection is speaking in other tongues. That is where the power comes from. That's why the scripture says the same power that raised Christ Jesus from the dead is dwelling inside of you. The same power, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, is the power of God. Brother Ryan, I said a prayer of repentance. I was even baptized, and I can't get victory over sin in my life because you don't have the resurrection power. Brother Ryan, I can't seem to get victory over my thought life. I can't seem to get victory in my heart even though I was baptized and I repented of my sin. But you never received resurrection power. You need the resurrection power. Without the resurrection, Calvary would have just been the death of a good man. History would have recorded it. It would have barely been a blurb in the history books. People would have said, there's a special guy who did some good things and then he died. <laughs> but what makes the gospel so powerful is that on the third day he came up out of the tomb. He ascended into glory. Do you know what makes the gospel powerful in your life? It's not just the death. It's not just the burial. It's the resurrection. You need to walk in the resurrection. That's the completion of the gospel. Stand with me. We're getting ready. I'm about to head up and we're going to baptize Nathaniel. I wonder, 
every head bowed, every eye closed, nobody looking around. I wonder if someone could search your heart right now and ask yourself this very, very simple question. Is there anything in my life, even though it may not be outright sin, is there anything in my life that I love more than Jesus? Nobody looking around. I just want you to just search your heart for a moment. If you ask yourself that question honestly, if there's anything like that in your life, it'll immediately come to your mind. Is there anything in my life that I love more than Jesus? Is there anything that I just couldn't give up because I love it more than... If Jesus himself stood in front of me and said, give it up, I'm not sure if I'd be able to give it up. Now I want you to take that thing and I want you to give it to Jesus right now. Nobody looking around, just begin to pray. Just say, Jesus, I'm giving that to you right now. Come on, all across this building, I need some people who know how to pray to help me pray. Lord, I'm giving you every secret place of my heart. I'm giving you every secret place of my life. The things that people can't see, the places that no one else knows about, all the stuff that's hidden in my life. Lord, I surrender it to you right now. I give it to you, Lord. 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 Could we take a few moments? Maybe you'd like to find an altar of repentance for just a second. I'm opening up these altars if you'd like to come. Why don't we just come lay our burdens down on the altar for a few moments this morning. The waters of baptism are about to be stirred. If you'd like to be baptized today, if you've never been baptized in Jesus' name, I'm giving you an opportunity to be baptized this morning. But before we do that, we need to come and lay our sins down on the altar. He'll receive you. He won't reject you. He's not going to leave you. Oh, from day to day, he will never lose. It's power. Now all over this sanctuary, could you just lift up your hands and why don't you just fill this house with, with praise? Come on, we're about to go into a moment of baptism, but I wonder if we could just praise God. If you believe that we're going to get the victory, if you believe that we've got the power, if you believe that we've got what it takes to make it to heaven, I wonder if we could just fill this house with praise. Lord, in the name of Jesus Christ. Lord, I plead the blood in this house. God, I pray that you would make the difference in our minds and in our hearts, God. Lord, I pray, Lord, that if anything's in my mind, Lord, if anything's in my spirit that's not right, Lord, would you prepare me right now? Lord, I give it to you right now. God, I want to follow you.
Amen. Well, Brother Ryan is stepping upstairs. He's preparing to baptize somebody. I think we should just give God praise for that. Isn't that awesome? Amen. We're in a season of revival. But I want to urge you this morning. I want to urge you, if you have not been baptized in Jesus' name, how many, can I get a witness? If you've been baptized in Jesus' name, why don't you just lift up a hand of praise as a testimony? Look at all these people that have been baptized in Jesus. Isn't it a, a wonderful feeling? Isn't it an amazing thing to have your past washed away? Amen. And as they're getting ready, I just want to encourage you that if you have not been baptized in Jesus' name, the water's already ready. Amen. The time is right. If you haven't been baptized in Jesus' name, you can be baptized today. Can you say today? Amen. God can do it for you today. But as they're getting ready, I wonder if we could stretch our hands towards this baptismal tank right now. And why don't we pray? It takes a lot of courage to step out in faith. It takes a lot of courage to say, you know what? I want to be baptized in front of everybody today. But I wonder if we could just pray for those that are being baptized right now. Come on, could a few prayer warriors just lift your voice for a moment? And would you pray that God would encourage them right now? Would you pray that God would be with them in this house? In the name of Jesus, God, I pray, Lord, that you would send encouragement into this place. Lord, I thank you for the word that has been brought forth, God. Lord, I pray, Lord, that you touch them, God. Lord, let there be a new beginning. Lord, let there be a fresh start that's going to take place in this house. Lord, let this be a day of new beginnings. Lord, let this be a day of a fresh start, God. Lord, there's some people under the sound of my voice. The devil has tried to tell them that they can't be saved, that, that they've done too many things wrong, that they can't make it right now. I'm telling you, I rebuke it in Jesus' name. You can start fresh today. I said you can start fresh today by the power of the name of Jesus Christ. By the power of the name of Jesus Christ, you can walk in victory. Oh, I wish somebody would just worship with me right now. Come on, you can walk in victory. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter what you've gone through. Today can be a day of new beginnings. Hey, from day to day, it will never lose its power. If you know it, would you sing it with us? And it reaches to the highest mountain and it flows to the lowest valley oh the blood that gives me strength from day to day it won't ever 